Welcome to this month's installment of Brass Chats, brought to you by Monster Oil. What is this? 21 year? Welcome to Brass Chats. This month we're speaking with Mr. Ray Mace, principal trumper of the New York City Ballet. A uh, former member of the American Brass Quintet and faculty member of the Juilliard School since 1987. Ray, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, so the New York City Ballet, uh, you've been doing this since, for how long now? Oh, a little over 25 years. Okay, and what is it about the ballet that still gets you excited to go to work every day? It's a really good, uh, really good scene there. I love my colleagues a lot. Um, ballet works just not for everybody. Um, mm -hmm. I think... I often say if you're expecting people to be waiting f on you at the stage door, you know, waiting for you to leave the theater, uh, it doesn't happen at the ballet. Mm -hmm. uh, the orchestra's in the pit, but uh, a lot of challenging rep. We work a lot of hours. Uh, it's grueling in that respect, but uh, always felt fit, fit into my schedule really well. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was doing the quintet and doing a lot of playing around town, it was a really nice job to have to fill out those weeks and have some things. So, uh, Do you have any yeah. favorite ballets? Well, you know, we do a lot of Stravinsky, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, I do actually, I mean, I think Agon is just, nobody knows Agon, it's a relatively unknown work of Stravinsky's, in a sense, it's not the firebird of the right of spring, right. but uh, it's a beautiful ballet, one of Balanchine's best, I think, people say that about it. And Are there any ballets that you see on the schedule, the program for the next year, that you start practicing for immediately, because you know you're going to need to? Yeah, a lot of them, <laughs> sure, certainly. Uh, I don't know if anything stands out, I mean, some... You know, like some of the uh, Swan Lake and Sleeping Beauty can be really close to three hours, particularly grueling. Um, I don't know that I practice specifically for that, but I yeah. see them in the schedule. Romeo and Juliet feels that way, too. Prokofiev mm -hmm. is uh, a long night, a lot of pounding, a lot of hard playing. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we do a lot of Nutcrackers every year, so I wouldn't say that I'm home practicing the Nutcracker every day, but yeah. I'm aware of it on the schedule that i got a bunch of them to get through. And yeah. uh, I, I think it's more like a... It's pretty routine in a way. There's not a lot of pieces that come along that I think, uh-oh, here comes you know yeah. that piece. Not so much, uh, mm -hmm. but it's kind of a grind. You know, yeah. It's a lot of stuff, a lot of services every week. So, Let's go back in time a little bit. Who do you consider to be your most important teacher in your formative years? Um, well, I have to say Armando Gatala was my primary teacher in college. Uh, I mean, I got a lesson here or there with some other people, but I had Gatala was a um, very distinguished man. Mm -hmm. I, I found that he was, uh, he's very personable, I got very close to him, but uh, he wasn't the kind of, uh, he wasn't a knock-around kind of guy. I mm -hmm. mean, I, I, really, uh, I really enjoyed the sort of gentlemanly quality about him, uh, sort of elegant guy, uh, very serious about his work. Mm -hmm. I like that. I, I really appreciated the, that a lot about him. How did he really help to develop your playing? What types of things did you talk about in lessons? Uh, Gitano was a very stylish player. Uh, very individual player. Um, I think one way or another he brought that out of me, uh, whether it was his influence or something inside of me is hard to say, but, mm -hmm. uh, but I think we were a good fit because I think I always thought of my playing as my own and I think that he, because of his personality and how he played, I think that brought that out. I think those qualities were something I was able to get from my study with him. What were you doing in terms of a nuts and bolts level in your formative years there was you were before you actually got real work to become the player you are? 
I think with Gitala, uh, he had pretty good sense of, we, we worked on things, he had a good plan for what we were going to do in lessons, and I did a lot of etudes actually in college. Mm -hmm. Not so much excerpts, I mean I certainly brought them in, but or solos, uh, but it really was more fundamentals and that kind of developmental stuff, which I think I think had a good, good sound uh, training in that from him. Um, I think that contributed a lot to what I was doing. Uh, I think that helped me a lot in those early years, that sound fundamentals. Let's talk about that a little bit more specifically, the, the ABQ. Um, how do you feel that that group has informed your playing and or changed it over the years? Wow. Uh, boy, there was a lot to learn getting in a group like that. Mm -hmm. um, when I got out of school... Now, who were the members <coughs> when, you, uh, when you joined up? Uh, when I joined the American Brass Band in 1973, the other trumpeter was Lou Ranger. Yeah. Um, Ed Birdwell on horn, Herb Rankin on trombone, and Bob Biddlecombe on bass trombone. Okay. Well, I think, um, I think there's a lot of things in a quintet that come along that inform you as a person <laughs> mm -hmm. as much as you're playing. And I think um, there's a lot of chores that have to be done in a quintet, and there's a lot of, look, it's a partnership. You have to find a way to work with your colleagues well, and you have to find a way to bring out the best in each other. Um, so some people emerge in leadership capacity, uh, emerge with strengths in certain areas, and you have to find a way, somebody has to kind of be at the helm a little bit to sort of manage. Yeah, that was one of my <coughs> questions, was how do you deal with artistic and personal differences within the group? That's a common thing among chamber ensembles. How did you guys deal with it? Uh, you're, you're right, that's a big, it's a big issue in a group. I think for one, uh, the members we had in the group and new members that we took in the group, we were careful to make sure that you know, certainly they had to fit artistically into the group, but um, partially <laughs> part of being artistic fit is to be able to fit in the group and, and work in the group. And I think we were, you know, our auditions would be playing, but then an interview. And the interview would be a way to see how someone viewed the group. Uh, Did you ever find it difficult uh, gaining audiences in the early days of the group? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's ongoing. Um, the American Brass Quintet, I dare say from the early years knew what it was. Uh, it's not it's not a for a general kind of audience in a way. Mm -hmm. I mean it's a chamber music audience and I think if uh, it would be it was always difficult if we were put in that environment where people people's expectation would be uh, oh this is going to be an entertaining light-hearted concert. It's not what we did. Unfortunately, what was the most difficult rep you guys played over the years? Or a composer, or yeah. certain pieces that stick out to you? Well, uh, that, uh, yeah, that's a simple one, actually. Uh, back in 1974, we commissioned Elliot Carter to write a brass quintet. And when did you join the group again? Which 73. Okay, this is so brand yeah. new, all right. Brand new, yeah. Uh, so I was, had been in the group about a year when the Carter, the, quint the quintet was already commissioned, and the piece came up in the summer of 1974. I, I guess I'd say that was really the biggest, most challenging thing that we ever had to do, but it also was a pivotal piece. Um, mm -hmm. I think up until then, we had some good pieces, certainly, but um, nobody saw what we were doing that we were going to be going after. You know, Carter was sort of the dean of American closers then. I mean, a very important composer, and getting the commission was a big deal for a brass quintet. Mm -hmm. We talked earlier about uh, audience reception of your music. It's a very difficult balance to play art music and music that you really enjoy playing versus making audiences happy and gaining an audience. What rep did you find was the, the best received by audiences? Um, well, I, I take a step back with your question to say, uh, so I, I don't think that the role of a, 
of a, a group like ours or maybe maybe artists in general is to feel like well what we do is simply about pleasing an audience I think you play the music that you believe in and you play the, the repertoire that you think um, you respond best to that you think expresses music the way you want to express music the whole variety of things but I think then you uh, that's what you bring to your audience and your audience um, hopefully responds to your integrity and sincerity that you have for the music that you play. It's not for everybody. Um, yeah. I think whenever you start to think about the bottom line, well, we want to play music that will appeal to everybody, uh, I think you're compromising artistically in a way that yeah. hopefully you don't have to do. Hopefully I'll, you can I'll tell you a story about it in, sort of in the late, uh, late 80s. Um, we had a manager who didn't exactly understand what the quintet was as well as our current manager or the manager we have the last 20 years understands it but um, this particular manager called one day and said to me something about oh well we we uh, have an opportunity to uh, there's a concert they're asking if you guys are gonna we can play the set of Joplin rags on the concert and she said something like um, you guys do that right and I said well no actually <laughs> we don't and I kind of thought she would know that um, but then the next thing that followed was something like well um, you know, there's a concert on the line, so of course, you know, you'll get it together so we can have it on the concert because that's what the presenter wants. Mm -hmm. It was funny because I never really felt like, you know, we would be hardline about it. But right then I said, well, to tell you the truth, no, that isn't what we play, and it's we don't choose to play it. It's not a quality judgment. It's simply not what we do. And if the presenter demands that it be played, I think they should get a different group. What do you miss most about the group? The concerts. Yeah. I, th I think the concerts, uh, and it's funny, uh, traveling with the guys is always re really great. We had a um, very even-tempered group, really friendly guys, no hotheads in the group, nobody like freaking out because of this, that, or the other. And, uh, playing good concerts all the time takes a lot out of you. I mean, I, I always found we'd get somewhere interesting and, you know, a couple of the guys were always able to say, hey, we're going to go out and do this and that this afternoon, and I'd be saying, you know, i got to take a nap. <laughs> i got to take it easy to warm up and be ready for the concert because I just thought that's what I was supposed to do. I needed it. Right. I needed to rest. So we went some great places that I didn't really see because I was sort of thinking about the concert, you know? Yeah. yeah. What qualities do you ascribe to your uh, best students? Uh, I think my best students are open-minded. Um, I think they're willing to... Um, be very disciplined about what they do. I don't think they're, I don't think they're sort of crazy, you know, and impulsive about what they do. I think they understand that they need to be patient and they need to, um, you know, put time in on a lot of different things, but certainly time on fundamentals. You spend a lot of time. Things don't happen overnight. There's no magic. There's no secrets. Mm -hmm. It's really hard work. And uh, I think the best ones understand that you see progress over time. You don't see it sort of in a day or a week. Um, when I see that in somebody who's sort of even-tempered that way as a student, I think they have a better chance than somebody who expects things immediately or is kind of quick to just jump all over the place. You know, I, I, mm -hmm. I don't think that's a good thing for a student. I think patience is a, important. Mm -hmm. uh, wh what are your lessons like generally in terms of, uh, I don't know, percentage of time you spend on fundamentals? Do you work on a lot of rep with students? What's your basic approach with, uh, with your students? Um, well, I think I'm a believer that to be a good teacher, you're kind of a different teacher for every student. And if you start to think you have formula, if you start to think, I know how to do this, 
and if it works for one, it's going to work for all of them. I think you uh, you're going to make mistakes. I think you're going to have some success, but you're going to have some pretty bad failures too because uh, one size fits all doesn't work in teaching. I think. But having said that, uh, I think fundamentals are really critical. I I think while if you ask my students these questions about my teaching, some would say, well, you know, Mr. Mace maybe do this. How come he didn't make you to do that? You know, so they probably would have the differences, but. Yeah, I'm a stickler about fundamentals. I, I think that um, if you can play the trumpet, you can play repertoire. But you have to learn how to play the trumpet. And the way you learn to play the trumpet is through, you know, routine exercises and things that build strength and build good technique. Do and, you have uh, a routine? Um, I wouldn't say that, uh, well, I have actually sort of developed a, some thoughts about practice that, um, and I don't know, it's on the internet somewhere. Uh, somebody's put it up somewhere. That Let's is, get the Cliff Notes version. Yeah, yeah. the Cliff the Notes, show? okay. So I think that every player should have some things that they do daily that sort of maintain their skill or gives them a sense of evaluation. I call it maintenance. Mm -hmm. And I think it can vary somewhat. Uh, certainly over time it varies. But something where you get your body going and you feel like you understand your playing on a day-to-day -day level. Uh, personally, I have an area of technical practice that I do every day, which is assigned. I assign myself materials <laughs> saying, and I, I think it's the right way. I, I think when you just skip around book to book and A to, it's not bad for you, but you don't see any anything from day to day. You don't see progress. So when I'm practicing, I put up a couple of ages. I say, okay, these are on the stand for the next four or five days. I'm gonna work on these and I expect to show myself progress. I expect I'm so going to- So what is it this week? What's the assignment uh, this week? Okay, um, yeah. uh, you know the worm studies? They're on my music stand. Oh, I haven't played them, uh, but yeah. I'm yeah I mean, yeah, yeah. I did them when I was in high school, uh -huh. and I sort of rediscovered them over the summer. I went through the whole book over the summer. I'm uh -huh. still reviewing a few of them, but uh, okay. they're not that hard, but to play them really well from beginning to end, that's, uh, that's on my stand. Right. Uh, you, now, you've been playing at such a high level for such a long time. What are your specific goals now? What do you try? People, I mean, would look at, watch you say that, and they would say, "That's Ray Mace. He can play anything." <laughs> well, what are your specific goals? What are you working on? You're playing right now to actually try to improve on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, well, I work fundamentals all the time, and yeah. I would say every player would say that there's certain things that come very naturally to them that if they don't play for a while, or even if they're very tired playing too much, mm -hmm. those certain things in their playing stay with them. And there's other things in their playing that are elusive. Certain yeah. things I feel, as long as I'm breathing, I can make those things happen. Mm -hmm. But other things I don't feel so confident about. So I work those things hard, and I've yeah. got to work them all the time, or I don't, I, I don't live up to my the standards that I expect for myself. How have you worked on articulation? Is it something that's come easy to you, or what do you, how do you well, teach actually, it? Um, so I don't know how widespread the, this idea of uh, so-called anchor tonguing is. Um, and I don't even know where the name came up, but um, my students asked me about anchor tonguing because this is the sort of the way that I was taught to tongue. And a lot of players use this type of articulation and it's not all that um, unusual. Uh, I know Phil Smith was one that used it. Herbert L. Clark tongue this way, guitar. A lot of my colleagues, since you can't see it, you can't be sure that someone tongues this way, but uh, essentially it's to put the tip of the tongue down lower in your mouth, sort of kind of anchoring it where the bottom teeth and gums meet. And then the articulation is done by the sort of a, an inch back on the tongue making contact with the roof of the mouth. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like a t -t 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 this way as opposed to the tip. And 
I've done it for my whole career. That's how I've articulated. But I liked that sound when I heard it, and so I, Gatala showed me this way of articulating. And uh, mm -hmm. um, what are the biggest mistakes that you find that young uh, players make? Uh, mistakes that young players make. A lot of times, I think my students, and I think we all do this, get very hung up about certain details and can't get past them. Or I'll, you know, a student will come to me and be um, so focused on one particular note in a piece or one particular passage that everything suffers because of that sort of tunnel vision about that one event. And a lot of times the success of a performance in the eyes of that person will be either they made that lick and it was a great performance or they missed it and it was a horrible performance and generally the truth is somewhere in the middle. Uh, what advice do you have for freelance musicians to try to make it in the, in the market? Um, well freelance is a tough field and I, I dare say I don't think it's for everybody. Um, I think uh, you got to send the right signals. Like, oh, let's start with you certainly have to be able to play and you have to be able to understand what's going on around you and be able to fit in and I think if somebody is really kind of set in their ways or, or not particularly flexible or not quick, those are things you, you need to have those qualities to be successful as a freelancer. Yeah. People's ability to fit in and be cooperative and flexible are traits that really work. Uh, Got to be able to sight read um, really well because <laughs> an awful lot of opportunities are sort of last minute opportunities where if somebody's not feeling well and you get a chance to go in. And uh, mm -hmm. I know my first years at the ballet, uh, really were to come in and sub shows somebody was out for whatever reasons no rehearsals just go in and sub and and um i think that in certain ways the whole orchestra is made people is made up of people like me who were subs at first and were able to make their way into the orchestra by mm -hmm. being good at doing that and um and it just seems like that's the kind of player that worked out over there yeah uh you've performed with many famous people over the years do you have any stories about some famous people you've performed with Certainly, um, I could, there were a few years when I played regularly at the New York Philharmonic and mm -hmm. had a chance to sub there a good amount. And um, so there, were, there was a Mahler second, as well as a Tchaikovsky fifth with Leonard Bernstein, which I thought was uh, pretty special. I mm -hmm. had only worked with him a few times in my career. And um, the things you hear about sort of the aura about him, I think, really were true. I think uh, um, there was something special about him. He wasn't necessarily easy, um, but my experience, and not that I had a enormous experience with him, but my experience was he was able to bring out really special qualities. And okay, this is the monster round. Are you ready? Yeah. It's going to be more or less rapid fire questions oh, and short <laughs> answers, and it's going to cover a very wide array of topics. I have total veto power over this, right? Yeah. Okay, uh, yes. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> I'm, I just want to reiterate that, yeah. Okay. All right, there's a softball. The first question is an easy one. Put you yeah. at ease. What's your favorite place to play the trumpet? Um, New York State Theater. Name a composer whose music should be performed much more than it is. Uh, David Sampson. Hardest thing you've ever attempted to play? Oh, man. Uh, Ralph Shapey Brass Quintet. Ralph Shapey? So you didn't know that one. It's harder <laughs> than the Elliot Carter? Well, there's things about it that are oh. really, really nuts, yeah. Greatest jazz, jazz trumpet player of all time? Miles Davis. Okay. What instrument would you choose if you could uh, do it all over again? Piano. Proudest achievement? Proudest achievement. Uh, my family, my kids. Uh, I got a couple of great daughters. Uh, best car you've ever owned? Best car. 
Uh, best car was my Mazda RX-7. Drink of choice. Uh, Woodford Reserve Bourbon. Who's the best concert band in the world right now? Is it the U.S. Coast Guard Band or one of the other ones? The United States Coast Guard Band is the greatest band in the history of man and will remain so until the end of time. Okay, uh, last question. <laughs> this is it. Okay. You didn't know what you signed up for, did you? <laughs> if you could play one more concert, and this isn't an ABQ thing, this is just anything, what would you put on the program? Um... Well, I, I understand it's not an ABQ thing, although I think I was artistically most invested in that in my career. I mean, uh -huh. I played some concertos and things. I, I played a Dave Sampson trumpet concerto that I loved, and I played a number of times that I got real involved in and, and mm -hmm. loved doing. But, um, but there were things we played in the quintet that really meant a lot, that sure. were really important to me. And uh, so I guess if I was going to play one more time, it would probably be that just because that quintet's not good. Yeah, I mean, that really was uh, such a big part of what I did in my career. So well, that's all we have yeah, for you. Yeah. So thanks so much Sounds for like joining us. Yeah, really well, appreciate your time. Yeah. Well, well, I hope you got you. something to work with. Uh.